Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. We are on episode 17, and this week's episode, we are reviewing The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, and we're going to throw a couple of interesting people into the crossover chamber. But before we get going on that, I would like to introduce my wonderful co-host, Mr. Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, as always, every week. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and I want to introduce my awesome co-host, H.A. Conrad. There we go. Look at that. Look at us sharing. Being sharing nice to caring. each other. Taking turns. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. Um, we do that a little bit less when we're in the crossover and we disagree. Yes, that's uh, true. But that is why we have the crossover. Um Conrad, this is uh, a, a full-packed episode. We're talking Amazing Spider-Man 2. We're throwing Mr. Peter Parker against maybe Mr. or Dr. Hank McCoy. Uh, depends on your interpretation. And what's our top five today? Our top five, well, we, we both have similar interpretations, but it was top five films about everyday heroism or reluctant heroism. So basically people that are thrown into situations and just take up the mantle of responsibility, not necessarily because they have been trained or equipped to do so, but just because that is their nature. Yep. So it should be a fun episode. We've got Spidey, a little bit of a Marvel superhero battle for supremacy, and then um, some interesting films. I'm looking forward to hearing your top five. So kind of going into this, um, what, what's your take on the whole Spidey universe? How, what's your experience been with it? And um, yeah, what are your thoughts about it? Um, well, you know, I did. I enjoyed, you know, the, the Spider-Man films with Tobey Maguire and, you know, Mr. Raimi's direction. I thought that they were fine. I, I mean, there were certainly things that I didn't necessarily like about them like there was just sort of the portrayal of spider-man and peter parker weren't quite what i had in mind but i liked them they grew on me um so i was i was okay with what they did with that and so when they announced that they were doing a complete reboot i was a little bit it was a little bit of what you and i talked about during our our reboot episode which is basically, why would you be doing this? Like, what is the reason for doing this so close to the other films mm-hmm. and timing? And I had similar feelings about the Hulk films as well. And so I I admit when I went into the first um, Amazing Spider-Man film, I was very skeptical. Um, and I was... I ended up enjoying it, but, I, you know, it didn't really knock my socks off. And so... I had similar ideas about walking into this sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've been a fan of, um, I've been a fan of Spider-Man for a while. I, I really love the uh, early 1990s cartoon. Um, I watched that and the X-Men animated series back to back on Fox Saturday mornings. Um, oh, sorry. I thought you were specifically talking about the films. But yes, no, the, the Spider-Man animated series, definitely part of my, my Saturday morning cartoons and... You was know. that your origin or your introduction to the Spider-Man universe? Um, I feel like I'm. I it was that, but I also know that I read comics. I just didn't really follow the storyline as much. 
Yeah. Um, there was just, you know, I really liked how he was such a, like, really just always being a little bit irreverent and not a little bit. He's a lot of reverent. Yeah. And thumbs his nose <laughs> a lot at authority, but he does it in a very endearing way. Yeah. Um, not in a, not in a mean spirited way necessarily, but just he's a teenager, you know, or, yeah. or this younger guy that's just kind of out there and, and, there, there is a sense of humor about it that you don't often get with superheroes. Yeah, I totally agree. And and that's, I think, one of the big appeals to me about Spider-Man and why I love the, uh, the cartoon. And when I started, that was uh, when I was watching the cartoon is when I started reading comics. And the, the three comics I read pretty reliably at that time were Spider-Man, X-Men and Superman. And that was right when Superman died and was being brought back. Um, and that's exactly what appealed to me about this character is he was very much, um, you know, our, our top five is about everyday heroism. And he was definitely um, someone who I really Related to, he was this teenager type character, this young person who just happened to have this uh, this power um, and these abilities, and he was sort of seemed to be thrust into this situation. And you know, the the famous quotation: "With great power must come great responsibility." Um, I, I, did you also? I mean, one thing that really I liked about the Peter Parker character, especially, was that unlike Clark Kent, he was super nerdy. Like he's oh, just yeah, a yeah. super nerdy guy that's into science. And yes, that was much more of the focus. Like his his alter ego is not just sort of faux nerd. He really yeah. is a nerd. <laughs> and it's just, you know, and the fact that he's going out doing these superhuman things and, and crazy dangerous things, but is also equally comfortable in the lab. That was something that was very, very appealing to me <laughs> i agree i agree and that's one of the big differences here with uh the dc and marvel universe where dc is much more gods among us um where you have you have these larger in life characters and then you got bruce wayne who's kind of faux millionaire right he's playing this playboy type character right. um where you compare that against uh peter parker and x-men and but especially peter parker he so epitomizes that nerd he he was a nerd way before it was cool to be a nerd um and he was a total science geek and i love that um you know that's that whole idea about him creating the webbing um, and inventing the webbing. And that was one of the things a lot of people didn't like about the Sam Remy version is uh, he, the re- webbing became a power, a side effect of the bite. Yeah, and it wasn't part of the part of the origin story to just to, to become Spider-Man. You know, yeah. it was yeah. just became part of the powers. So, yeah. so what's, I mean, the- what's interesting, though, I, because as a, uh, again, I will date myself here because <laughs> I am much older than you, but um, Not another thing, really, but-, but another thing that I watched when I was a kid was the Incredible Hulk, the live action Incredible Hulk. I watched that. Okay. I- I on reruns, love, though, not when it was actually aired. I watched that reruns, yes. But I've seen, like, every episode of that show. Oh, my gosh. I love The Incredible Well, Hulk. and so that also, I mean, I think that there is just this theme with Marvel, just like we were just saying, because Bruce Banner is also a very reluctant participant. Um, yeah. He, it, it, so it's, it's interesting that these two themes, different different paths, obviously, but the same idea that both scientists, they both have weird stuff happen to them in the lab. Yep. You know, so. 
So, um, uh, you and, know, it, and they both have to learn how to deal with their their powers. Yeah, and I I I, uh, I had less mixed feelings about the Sam Raimi movies as I think other people did. Um, I, I ranked Spider Man as one of my top picks in our um, summer movie mm-hmm. countdown um, because it because of the role that it played um, it, coming out in two thousand two, right after nine eleven, and kind of the, the the way in which it brought back ideas of heroism in New York City and resilience. Um, I, I adored that movie, love it, and Spider. Man 2 I had a lot of a lot of love for as well uh Spider-Man 3 really kind of falls apart at the end um but I still enjoyed it um and as we've talked before in previous episodes I wasn't a big fan of the Amazing Spider-Man 1 so going into the second film I had pretty not that I'm saying I had low expectations I didn't I didn't expect much I mean what what was it like for you going in um, I didn't, you know, I went into it. I love Spider-Man. I do. I will t- say that um, the I think that the look of the film is very slick. Um, I think Mark Webb has done a great job at um, really getting and, and I mean, obviously, the art direction and all that really getting the feel of, you know, him especially like the shots of him roaming through the city with his webs and and flinging around and there's even you know they do the very classic poses mm-hmm. and there's so <laughs> the visuals of of these films i was pleasantly surprised i thought they were very slick looking although i feel like again and this is not just the spider-man films but i i feel like it's a lot of these films and i understand why they do it but i feel like the reliance on um on 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 CGI is really just so um over the top and really jarring cuz you can definitely tell when they flip between them. Mm-hmm. Um and so I guess what I'm saying like I I wasn't like walking in the guy I was going to see an amazing film, but I I did walk out of the first film being like, "Oh, okay, I kind of see what they did with this and with the character and yeah, I guess it's a little bit of a retelling, a little bit of a different take. Um, I thought that the um, um, Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker is much nerdier. Yeah, yeah, and and I think plays off the Peter Parker and the joking piece, and even the the taunting as Spider Man. I think he pulls it off better than Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and I and I think his chemistry with with uh, the Gwen character, um, who's played by Emma Stone, is really just so much more than the the Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire thing. And what's I interesting, don't, didn't both these lead people date each other at some point? So it's kind of funny. that. Well, that adds a little something to the game. Well, it does. It's just, so it's like, okay, so, uh, you know, it, but... But so I don't know. Sound, like, it like, sounds like but, we went in with mixed feelings. Kind of mixed feelings, but also, yeah. again, I still, I still had that same feeling, which is like, guys, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you doing this? It just feels a little tired. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that kind of. Yeah, that, I still that, went to see it, of course, because you know, that's what well, we do. That's what we do. <laughs> and I like the character of Spider Man. I do. So it's yeah. You know, it's one of those things where I felt like I I wanted to see it and and I wanted to chat with my other people who are fans of spidey so well well so let's get into this um i have talked to pretty much most of my geeky friends about this movie ad nauseum 
um, at this point. Um, but I have not talked to you about mm-hmm. it. And I've been very much looking forward to this discussion. I have no idea where you are on this film. So, Conrad, how was it? I mean, it's what just a reiteration of, of what I kind of felt with the first film. I think the visuals were great. Um, I think he plays a P- good Peter Parker. I think some of the writing was cute. There were definitely moments in it that I was like, oh, that's pretty cute how they did that. I see what they did there. But overall, I just felt like it wasn't, it didn't, it just felt like there was so many just sort of set pieces and action scene after action scene. Um, The villain in this particular film is Electro. Um, And then there's also the appearance of the Green Goblin. And it's... It just felt very forced to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like it, like there were pieces that I really enjoyed, and I think that the emotional piece that they injected into this with the Peter Parker and Gwen romance was was great. But I felt like um, the whole lead up to the Green Goblin, his interaction um, with um, why am I blanking on the name of this guy? Um, Are you the actor? Are you talking about? Yeah, the uh, the one who looks like a he looks like a little Leonardo DiCaprio to me. Oh, you're talking about uh, Dane. Um, Dane uh, DeHaan, um, yeah. who plays uh, Harry Osborn. I felt like that who was in Chronicle. Yeah, uh, and I, I mean, th- yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, but I just felt like I I really felt like that whole storyline was just really an afterthought almost. Yeah. Even though yeah. it was a main part of the film. Yeah. And even the electro piece felt very forced to me. I didn't I didn't feel any real emotion about what was going on with him. I didn't, you know, you you see the the sort of building up to see the the Max character who eventually becomes Electro. Um oh gosh, I guess we should have started out this whole episode by saying we were doing spoilers, but I would hope people would know that. Um, well, we haven't we haven't really given away anything yet, so that's good. But yeah, folks, um, we're gonna we're gonna spoil it. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, this is gonna I'm, I'm kind of revealing a little bit about how I feel about this film. There's not much you can really spoil about it. To okay. be completely, well, you, you and I are on the same page. Then I mean, it just there it just felt like you were watching it and it progressed, but there was really no. I didn't feel like there was anything new that we learned. I didn't feel like there was really a reason to do. A second film, let alone a third film, which is in the works as well. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna describe my feelings about this film in one word, and that's boredom. Yeah. Um, I, uh, to be honest with you, I was I was pretty bored with this film, and I was um, I was more disappointed in this film than I was the previous film, and here's why: this film has a lot going for it. Um, it is impeccably cast. Um, I really do love Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker. I think he's capturing a lot of that spirit that you and I were talking about that mm-hmm. appeals to us about this character. Um, and Andrew Garfield has done so many cute, sweet things. I know. Uh, he was at San Diego Comic-Con before the first movie, dressed up as a Spider-Man character, asking a question at the Spider-Man panel. Nice. That's awesome. Um, just the other day, he was on The Tonight Show, and um, he sang that Spider-Man song. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. 
and um, he did the whole thing on the guitar, and that was awesome. Um, I love Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. I love the rapport, as you were saying. And Mark Webb is really bringing in his awesome um, ability to show relationships on the big screen with these characters. And that's something that was definitely missing from the first uh, the first trilogy of films. Um, Dane DeHaan, I, I love this guy in Chronicle. And if you guys haven't seen Chronicle... Please go see that movie. It's one of my favorite superhero movies ever made, and it's only 90 minutes long. What they achieve in that short film is fantastic. Um, so th- there was the cast was was great. Um, I think I, you know I, the one person I haven't mentioned is Jamie Fox, who um, I, I don't think he was given much to work with, but the cast is great. Um, I thought the CGI actually looked pretty good in this film um oh the relationship i haven't mentioned is um peter parker's relationship with aunt may oh and that um, also is really great and there yeah, were some sally really good fields moments. sally field is awesome as Ma- aunt may that- well that's and, and i definitely agree with you i think part of what you're hearing for me is a disappointment in the fact that despite this amazing cast and they are incredibly talented all of them um and that that it somehow just w- fell flat. Um, yeah. And so so the moments that I picked out, it was almost like while I was watching it, I'm like, okay, that's okay. Like it's almost like I wanted it to try harder somehow. <laughs> yeah. And get there, and it just didn't. Um, and I, <laughs> and I really was ready for it to be over. Yeah. Um, and in fact, one of the better parts of the film was that sneak little trailer at the end. <laughs> Did you stay? I hope. Yeah. You're talking about the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that is not um, high praise, my friend. Um, I, I know mean, it's the, not. The, 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 I, trailer, the trailer to another movie coming out was your favorite part of the film. But but that's the thing is that I do. I really love um, I really I love Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. So I really wanted this to be better. And I saw moments where I was like, oh, that's super awesome. And like the, like the little sort of the moments between him and his Aunt May and the moments with him and Gwen were really good, but they weren't enough to carry that film. Yeah. So um, and, and, you know, so this is like, well, so how did this happen? I don't know. My my, my dis- the I was so shocked at how bored and disappointed I was honestly because watching the first film I didn't have the strong feelings that I did watching this one um, and the disappointment I think comes from those moments of greatness where you see the relationships and you you really buy them and there's just such sweet and tender moments and then um, uh, like the little attention to detail where I don't know if you noticed this but in when I was watching it I saw um some of the changes they did to his costume just mm-hmm. to make it seem like it was flowing in the wind a little bit more as he was going by. See it's inter- and- interesting because Bill really hated that. Bill went to see the film with me and he hated oh. the fact that it wasn't that it was doing that. It troubled him greatly. So what was it about it he that He doesn't like him? that it's not like just the skin, skin tight, tight Spider-Man costume. 
Um, I don't know what that says about Bill, but you know, um, you know he likes his Spider-Man cut and and showing off form-fitted costume and all. Well, um, in, in in Spidey's defense, he has many iterations of his costume. Well, right, and I felt like that did more with the DIY making my own costume, and it's going exactly. through it's going through beating every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, and so I hear you. Like there's there were those really nice touches and attention to detail. But then, uh, to me, there was, like, very floppy and silly decisions, which the whole scene with Spidey and and um, Harry Osborn. When, which one? When There's, Spidey, like, three. Well, <laughs> the first one where he first gets to actually meet Spider-Man. To, okay. And Spider-Man tells him that he's not um, going to give him his blood. Yes, yes. Uh, that whole scene seemed stupid to me. <laughs> it's like, well, you know that this is going to hear how he is going to react. You already saw his reaction when you said you didn't know Spider-Man. So why are you doing this? Like, you're definitely not. It just seemed a very it was almost like, OK, I know you're going to react like this. And then there's this weird thing where he's overhearing him, the guy like being very upset and disappointed and throwing himself on the couch. And I just it seemed very strange. Well, the, and, the, the, and the sort of downfall of Harry Osborn into the Green Goblin didn't it just seemed a little overwrought and a little too precious to me. So you're you're talking about Harry Osborn and I just feel like the, the character and the actor were really underutilized in this film. And, um, you know, this is where I, you know, d- just one last thing I want to say that I liked and then I can give you my giant list of problems of the film is I think it was bookended by greatness there. I really enjoyed not the, the opening scene in the airplane, although the action there was, was, was good. Um, but the, the opening sequence with, uh, Peter Parker as Spider-Man, um, chasing the individual played by Paul Giamatti, who becomes Rhino kind of that whole chase sequence was a lot of fun and I, I enjoyed it. And I think, um, the last act, with a big spoiler alert here with uh, Gwen Stacy dying, um, the way that was done it was, was a, it was a beautiful shot and it was a beautiful action scene. It was yes, horribly tragic. Um, but it was I agree with you. I think that was definitely one of the highlights as tragic as it was. Well, and, and again, speaking to attention to detail, um, they recreated um, Gwen Stacy's outfit from the comics when she first dies. Um, and there's a lot of a little attention to detail um, with that moment. And we, we all knew that was coming. If you're a fan of mm-hmm. Spider-Man, you know Gwen Stacy's dies. And there was a lot of foreshadowing in the movie of that too. So I think it, was, it wasn't really a big secret. But there was those moments of greatness. And then getting to the problems with the movie, I, I think it doesn't, it didn't learn the lessons of Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 tried to do a lot at the expense of uh, the story of the story and the character development. That's my biggest criticism of this film is um, the villains particularly are underdeveloped. They're very comic booky, which is fine for a comic book, but not as much for a film. And now you can go very comic booky, but you got to own it. Right. And And they didn't or they didn't go there enough. And then it's also... I really dislike the films that try to cram in too many villains because then you don't really get the relationships. I mean, the whole thing between Peter, the whole relationship 
and the whole tension between Peter Parker and Harry Osborn, the betrayal or the the sadness when when Harry becomes Green Goblin, you're supposed to feel that. Yeah. And you d- I don't feel like you do here at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that's that's exactly the point. Um I thought uh this is where I've been having a lot of debates with with other friends about this. There's um like half half the people I know really enjoyed this film and the really? other half <laughs> yeah yeah nobody um, i know enjoyed it but well there, there's there's a few um we were actually just talking um earlier today about it and i i've been trying to understand what am i missing out here and um so brian ward and i were talking about this uh brian ward a friend of the show on um co-host of the arkham sessions we were talking about this on um uh, on Twitter, and uh, we were debating Electro, and his perspective on Electro was um, he's he's less of a villain as much as he is um, a a tragic monster type character, um, an individual who has um, based on a set of circumstances fallen into the situation, and I, I think he's he's on to something there. I think the film doesn't quite achieve that. I think that would have been an interesting idea. My problem with Electro is uh, I was I was a bit offended by the simplicity of a lonely individual who um, is saved by Peter Parker, um, saved by Spider-Man, falls in love with the, the heroism of this person, and then in a very simplistic way thinks that Spider-Man's turned against him in that in that Times Square sequence. And then once, you know, he's like, I'm going to take all the power in the city and destroy Spider-Man. And you're like, wait, 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 why are you destroying Spider-Man? How did that sort of develop? All right. Just, and, and the weird little soundtrack thing that they did. Oh, my goodness. I thought was horrible. <laughs> I did not understand what was going on? So it's sort of um, it's this electronic beat, which is supposed to be timed with what's going on with Electro. And it just sounded very strange. And it was um, I, I'm guessing it was supposed to be the voices in his head, sort of. I don't know. Yeah. It just sounded it was almost it was like maybe they were in Times Square and suddenly they thought they were in Spider-Man Turnout. <laughs> turn out the dark or whatever, oh my god whatever it is it, it was very strange i i thought it was odd and incongruous like i just thought it was really jarring you know conrad everything with electro just was um i i didn't really think it was well done you know his origin story is so comic booky where um oscorp really has the worst security in the world yep where he could just kind of stumble into this very high tech R and D type of power plant type of installation. Well, and you thing. know what? I would also like to say this is supposed to be an engineer. Yeah, who works with electricity? He's yeah. not dumb. He designed the power <laughs> grid. <laughs> exactly, and it really. <laughs> I I wasn't going to get too much into it, but I. It really made me angry, actually. <laughs> well, it was offensive to me. And yeah. so you, you have that character um, who, by the way, looks like a 
cheap Dr. Manhattan, I thought, the oh, way Oh, of that- course. Even even in his becoming, he looks exactly, it almost looks like, a, it looks yes. like a very similar yes. effect. I was actually oh, going goodness. to mention that. That was in my in my notes of, of pet peeves about this right? film. Come up with your own effects, idiots. Right, Sorry. like the appearance of the nervous system, mm-hmm. and then a little bit more. It's it just was was pulled out from Watchmen. But the difference here is with Watchmen, there is such an emotional resonance to that moment in the film, and there's such a, a tragedy to that character, and a tragedy as well as a little bit of a fear of when he does appear. That, that I did not feel that emotional resonance here. And again, if you're going to go comic booky. Own it. Be silly. Be a little fun. Um, so and, that and w- they don't have any problem doing that in so many other parts of this film. No, no, they don't, and it's it's very inconsistent here. Um, now, the the my one of my other other big pet peeves is the um, the evil scientist without any morals cliche. Yeah. Um, that what was going on with that parody of that that german scientist who you know what his motivation is i don't know but i i am so he's just evil ollie he's, he's evil, evil and wants to cause pain perhaps because he's german i don't know <laughs> yeah no, it was is- it was like could you be more cliche and i really just i just again it it was i just felt it was tired and I was tired watching it. I was ready Absolutely. for it to be done, but I did make, I did make poor Bill stay to the very end. Cause I knew that there would be some sort of trailer. Well, and there. as, as a lover of science, a supporter of science, and as a guy who uses science and does science occasionally, I do science. I do science. I do do a little research. My what dissertation kind of, what, is what available. What kind of science do you do? Well, clinical trials clinical trial stuff, um, uh, testing out the efficacy of, of different treatments and things like that. Um, I was kind of hoping you were telling, you were trying to tell me that you were planning to become a mutant or a superhero and that's what you've been working (laughs) on, like in your spare time. Just well, Conrad, I didn't tell you what type of clinical trials I'm working oh, on. Oh, that is true. That is true. <laughs> I can't talk, talk about it. Oscorp has <laughs> sworn me to secrecy. Um, so I, I, as his lover of science, I found that character offensive. And also the the cliche of um, um, around um, our other main villain here of Harry Osborne and the very rapid uh, descent. You know, they, they, they meet... And it's like, hey, Peter, I haven't seen you in like seven years. But let's, He's like, yeah. but let's bond really quickly. Let's bond because that never happens. Right. Okay. Like if you meet someone that you haven't seen for seven, eight, nine, ten years, that you were maybe friends in high school or maybe friends in elementary school, you don't just bond. It's mm. weird and awkward. Like maybe you have it, coffee. It, it depends on the person. There are definitely those friends that you can fall right back into. Yeah. And and have that that bond, but I didn't feel that that was here at all. Um, well, and I didn't even really get I don't know, like like anyway. You know what it what it feels like to me, Conrad is it's it's the difference between going to a, a Disney theme park and the level of attention to detail and the fun and excitement versus sort of more of a bargain amusement park where they try to emulate aspects of mm-hmm. it but yep. they don't have that full Im- immersion because look marvel the marvel studio films right the, all the avenger films and all of that most of them lack good villains like besides loki 
Yeah. We really right. don't have right. Like the name a villain uh, or name the villain from Thor two. You can't because that villain was stupid. You know, like <laughs> like most of these villains are really stupid, but. The universe is fun, and I have a lot of joy and excitement watching those films. I didn't have that as much here. And getting to the things that I, I just, you know, that's the bad. We've talked about the good, the bad, all, uh, the ugly here. <laughs> the things that really bothered me is, um, n- number one, there's a little bit of changing of the mythology here, where he's no longer the reluctant individual who has responsibility thrust upon him, but he's it's more his destiny mm-hmm. because um and in the film peter parker part of the story arc is that he finds out that um the reason why the spider had the effect on him is because his father had injected the experimental spiders with his own dna which is why yep. they haven't been able to progress the research Absolutely. so it gives this preordained fate yeah kind of line to the whole the color to the whole story and i agree with you i was really angry about that part yeah he's he becomes the one he becomes luke skywalker this is uh this is is very different it's very different from what i think the original story yeah and you know what i loved about the original story so there there's a great article on uh tour um a kind of looking back at the Sam Remy films and um, just want to quote a little bit from that article. Um, uh, this is uh, Leah Chan- um, Ch- Chanel back. Uh, I believe is how you say her last name. She says, um, is he looking at the Sam Remy films? Is he a hero? Um, is, is he a hero? If he's capable of coldly taking life, does this rescue of the kids in Spider-Man and the subway passengers in Spider-Man 2 balance out his acts of vigilantism? Who's the hero? Who's the villain? Rather than Mark Webb's current Peter Parker, Remy's is consistently morally gray. Rather than the Marvel Cinematic Universe's heroes who never let their, um, who never ne- let their sneakiness get in the way of their true hearts of gold, Peter's capable of real evil. Rather than the phoned-in um, phoned in messianism of Man of Steel or Superman Returns, we get the complicated films that confront the questions they ask repeatedly and never give us an easy answer. The real thesis of this article is um, the original films exploring the moral complexity and the consequences of uh, Peter Parker's inaction to save his uncle and the responsibility that's thrust upon him. Mm-hmm. So the changes here of making him the one, making this his destiny, really changed the tone and structure and the questions that this film is raising. Um, it was taken into, into a direction that's a little bit more tired, a little bit less true to this character, and takes away a bit of the Peter Parker from the Spider-Man. Right. The uh, my other major thing that bothered me about this film, um, kind of like getting back to the Disney versus uh, more bargain amusement park. It really f- uh, all these films like, uh, look, I am under no delusion that Marvel Studios ties in all these films in order to make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Yes, we know this. However, I, I, I have a lot of fun with those films and um with Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, 
it just really felt like this movie exists. Number one, so that Sony doesn't lose the rights to Spider-Man. That's how I felt about these Mark Webb films is they just they had to keep moving, making these movies. Otherwise, they'd lose the rights. The rights would go back to Marvel Studios. Number two, they have major Marvel envy, which a lot of studios have right now. And they want to launch a Sinister Six movie line. They want to launch a Venom movie line. They want to launch another Marvel. And it just felt like it was Sony trying to promote its properties. There's, I'm so tired. I was got so tired of seeing so many Vio laptops um, throughout this film, and um, it just um, just felt like it existed to create more stuff. And while Mar- Marvel also does that, I do feel like each individual Marvel film can survive on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so these were my issues with the film. Well, overall, it sounds like you and I both gave it a. <laughs> have have similar thoughts about it so yeah um you know i I, and and part of me like if if somebody were to ask me whether they should see it i mean like i guess if you're into spider-man go for it but i i definitely could have taken a pass on this i guess i I wouldn't have because i'm because i'm a nerd but but you know what i'm saying like i don't i when you're when you're really waiting for the the film to end that's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. And Conrad, that usually doesn't happen to me. Mm. I, I, I'm i very rarely bored to the point where I want to leave. But I found myself looking at my watch a lot. Um, and the other thing I need to mention, this I saw this movie um, while I was out of town. I was actually in D.C. And I went to my favorite movie theater in D.C., um, the Uptown, um, which is in Cleveland Park, D.C. It's where 2001 A Space Odyssey originally premiered fantastic huge screen it's where i always went to see a movie when it came out usually always packed sold out i went in the movie was the theater was less than a third full um it was it was pretty empty the crowd was not into it um i I don't know what your experience was but that type of experience on opening day at 9 p.m. when I saw the film, I've never had an experience like that when it comes to a genre of film on opening day. Well, I don't know what it was. And also in an in urban area. In, in, in a city, in a major right. city, in a major theater. So I know other people probably had different experiences, but I haven't had an experience like this in a, with a film in a while. Um, it was quite strange. Well, I'm also I'm still waiting to hear my my one of my very good friends, Leah, is a huge Spider-Man fan. In fact, she has a Spider-Man bathroom. Um, (laughs) And when I say she has a Spider-Man bathroom, I mean, every inch of this bathroom is covered with Spider-Man like action figures, shower curtain, bath mat. It's a pretty impressive bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. so she's a big fan. Let's just put it that way. So I have not yet been able to connect with her about her thoughts. And I am I am fairly certain I know what she's going to say <laughs> based on our conversation. Um, but it's, you know, always good to hear um, from really big fans of the character in the comic book to hear what they think um well there's gonna i know we're gonna get into our crossover in a moment but there's one one more thing that angered me about this movie <laughs> so many um, things angered I, you. I know they did I'm, a, I'm an angry angry boy today um did you hear about the mcdonald's toys 
I did not. Oh, man. Um, I'll send we'll put have the link in our show notes. Basically, McDonald's came out with a uh, Happy Meal toy line for Amazing Spider-Man 2. And they have their usual toys, which is action-oriented stuff, cars and figures and things that run and jump and blah, blah, blah. But they also had a girl's toy line. And they were pink and purple and they had hearts on them. And there were things you dress and wear and make yourself pretty. Or the implication is that there's a lot of Spider-Man with hearts on it. Things that the implication of. Oh, well, but this isn't isn't um, I apologize. I, I knew about this generally. But isn't this always a problem with McDonald's Happy Meals? They always have a, a girl and a boy toy line. They, it might be. And um, so this I'm, I mean, I, I can't I'm not surprised that they got called out on it for this reason. But uh, because, you know, Spider-Man, come on. Yeah, um, it, but but it is it's offensive and it's always been offensive. And in fact, it's very funny um, when I was uh, traveling a few weeks ago, one of the only times that I ever end up in a McDonald's because it's like the only option if you're on the road sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually in there and there was a dad and he he had gotten a Happy Meal for his his daughter and he came back and he asked them for the boy toy instead because she didn't want yeah, she didn't want the girl toy, and I and it. I think it, was, it may have been the Spider Man toys. Probably, um, if this is recently, it probably was. So, this. so it's kind of interesting that you bring that up. So it's obvious, like the kids, the kids obviously care. Oh yeah, it, it, well, it's it's surprising that this still is happening. Yeah. Given um, given where the culture is now and how we can cosplay as anyone, you know, I cosplayed as Miss Marvel at uh, WonderCon and so many people cosplay as Spider-Man and you can photos of this. It's on our show notes. You should there. It's in our show notes, Conrad. No, better than the ones I, I have seen. Oh, 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 you want the the exclusive yes. uh, photos. Uh, I might, I might, I shall share those with you. Um, but it, the implication that the only way in which girls can associate with Spider-Man is, is as an object of um, affection, that's, that's offensive. And I know it's not new, um, but let's go with it, people. It's 2014, you know. But then, I mean, I was very surprised that they came out with the girl Lego. Set, oh. which was so annoying to me yeah yeah and you know it's ridiculous but but i digress um we digress we digress so um, so I, are you ready for 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 please please get me out of here i need i, I think i, need I think it is time to enter the infinite crossover chamber welcome swing that's that's spider-man going from building to building that was that was interesting yeah that was not one of my better ones um all right let's let's um let's get into the crossover we are talking peter parker versus hank mccoy otherwise known as beast from x-men um conrad what is the challenge that these superheroes will be facing um the challenge that we are we are pitting them against each other um in the crossover chamber today is which character leverages his talents for crime fighting was that what we had said sure 
for for whatever fighting for and defeating bad stuff. And we're talking both their brains as well as their powers. Yeah, so I think that gets into why we pit these two characters against each other. They're both very nerdy. These are nerdy superheroes. We talked about Peter Parker. And, you know, one of the things that the film did do well is that there's that sequence where he's trying to figure out how to defeat um, Electro. And he kind of looks up stuff on YouTube. He does a lot of experimenting. And I think that's a great example of how Peter Parker is a nerd and he likes to figure things out and he likes to tinker and all of that. And then Hank McCoy is a similar, very, a little bit of a different nerd. He's a bit more of a refined nerd, um, but he's a quite nerdy, smart guy as well. And they are both, they both have super strength. Um, Hank McCoy sort of has this, in the original version, um, he was more like an ape-like in strength, um, but he, he's got the super strength, as does Peter Parker. That's true. I feel like Hank McCoy spends a lot more time in the lab, though. Yeah, well, he he's like worked in labs and he worked he's he's sort of an expert on genetics. And well, he is, but he continues to pursue that that particular um, sector of science in order to do things to help the mutants. Yes. And a lot of that knowledge ends up in assisting and and trying to educate the public about mutants. And, you know, especially in the animated series, they would often have Beast working, you know, in the lab as Beast. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought was fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it's great seeing uh, seeing that blue guy in his uh, lab coat. Uh, <laughs> well, and so he's um, he's in the lab a lot. He's kind of the X-Men field medic. Um, he knows science. He knows math. He's also a bit of a political activist. Um, he he does a lot of briefings on Capitol Hill and he kind of um, weaves in that aspect of activism from Professor X. Um, so there's that aspect. And he's also a, he's got a great sense of humor. It's it's a little bit more dry and a little bit more witty and again, a little bit more refined than Peter Parker. But he's a funny guy as well. Well, he is. Um, and I also feel like just getting back to the scientific research, you know, they they are both, you know, the things that they are researching are, are there are parallels because they're both taught, looking at genetics and, and mutations and things like that. And I just feel like Beast has taken all of his knowledge and, and pursued it, you know, voraciously to mm-hmm. to help his people yeah and to also understand their powers a little bit more and i feel like he you know while while his beast-like powers i mean he can be pretty pretty hardcore um he doesn't have have sort of the the style that peter parker does or that spider-man does yeah but I, i i think he can do some damage he can definitely do some damage, but you get the impression that he's much happier supporting the cause and fighting 
fighting against injustice and crime um, behind the scenes and right. by supporting the, the X-Men team. Um, he actually even did this a little bit for Spider-Man in the Civil War yep. comic series. The, um, there's that whole Superhuman Registration Act and the X-Men tried to stay neutral, but B sort of secretly supports uh, Spider-Man and he sends in this like holographic disguise outfit that allows him to continue teaching at school even though his identity is been uh, exposed. So uh, the the two characters have this uh, kinship um, amongst each they, other. They do, but I, you know, Beast definitely has some more social skills than than Peter Parker. He's a little bit smoother. Um, I don't know. Do you think it's fair to say that Beast leverages his intelligence more in the fight against evil? And, and bad things while while Peter Parker leverages his powers more. I mean, I mean, Peter Parker does do more. I mean, he does the gadgets and he makes those, as you pointed out. He does. I think Peter Parker uses his knowledge and uh, his his intellect when needed to defeat someone in battle. And I think it's pretty common for Peter Parker to go up against someone. And you you might have an example like Rhino, which who we didn't even talk about in the movie. But what the heck was going on with Rhino at the end? That was weird. But anyways, um, we're in the chamber. I am not allowed to exit the chamber yet. No. Um, no. So that was a foul, foul play on Matu. You're stuck in um, the chamber. <laughs> so I think I think Spider-Man would go fight an opponent. If he runs into trouble, he would then withdraw, think about it, figure out some stuff, try to either uh, augment his suit or augment his webbing and then go out and try again. Whereas um, Hank, um, Beast, would be, you know, the the X-Men would come in and Cyclops would talk about something and Wolverine would complain and um, (laughs) Beast would go, oh, well, mm, okay, let me do this. Mm -hmm." And I'll I'll quote Shakespeare and a rose by any other name would smell sweet. And then he would... um, come up with some type of concoction, give that to the team, and then they'd fly out and use it. So I think if both were on the front lines and in a battle, I think they're both strong. They'd both be able to hold their own. If they're both stuck in the lab, I think they'll be able to create some pretty uh, interesting solutions. But I do think you're right. They leverage their powers differently. Where they put their emphasis is very different. Right. So I, I'm, I wouldn't say that it's a tie, perhaps a draw. Yeah, I think a draw is, is, is good. Um, like, even if, I, even if I imagine them battling against each other, I think intellect-wise, they'll even out. And well, I think and it, it is slightly different. I mean, it's, it's just different the way that they... they Right? Like, how would they fight? Like, I don't know. <laughs> you and I, well, like, I, know how they would, I know how they would fight as, as Beast and Spider-Man, but... But intellectually, I'm not quite sure. Well, I, I get it intellectually. I, I think it would be a draw intellectually. But fighting wise, I think it would be a draw too. Like Beast kind of like jumps around and Spider-Man is kind of like weaving in and out. Yeah. Um, and I, so- th- I think eventually it's going to be a big beast spidey mess that nobody wants to see. <laughs> too much so- fur. Um, <laughs> yeah. There would be a lot of fur. There would be fur and webbing. It just that those two things just don't mix. Ooh, it would be very sticky. It would yeah, be messy. It, 
it would be messy. You know who I want to throw in the crossover? Who? I want to throw in, um, what's his name from Monsters, Inc. against uh, Beast? No, uh, Sully? Yeah, I want Sully to take on Beast. I don't know. They're both, they're both furry. kind of Beast, though, <laughs> yeah. aren't they? Yeah, no. I think that would be very... They wouldn't fight. I, I think they would just like have tea together or something but Probably. i think it'd be very i think it'd be very cute that was always one of my favorite things when beast would just be like having a cuppa yeah it's always yeah nice. me, me um, all right Such so cool so i think i think we can leave the crossover chamber with with these two fine gentlemen in a draw ha- taking tea together yes yeah you know i will say um Beast has probably published more papers in academic yeah. journals. <laughs> he probably he probably has that over Peter Parker, but uh, that's okay. Peter Parker's probably lo- reading more of his journal articles than uh, in, in his published papers. Anyways, um, Conrad, let's exit the infinite crossover chamber. Exiting the infinite crossover chamber. Was that mm. good? That was your, the sound effect. It was okay. All right, we. <laughs> all right, we'll we'll go with that. I'm making fun of our entering sound effect that we. Ah, uh, got it, got it. Okay, I get it. That's cool. Um, um yeah, but so, but we're we're gonna launch right into our top five then. So let's get into our top five. We're talking uh, top five films about everyday heroism. Um, And as always, I struggled making this list. There were so many examples I wanted to throw in. There's the obvious ones that everyone probably thinks of when they think of this category. But we were inspired by um, the idea of... Peter Parker being an individual who has this responsibility thrust upon him, a bit of a reluctant heroism. Um, and also one, I, I think one moment that stuck out for me in the film is when you do have that moment of that child, um, in amazing Spider-Man two wanting to, um, defend the city against Rhino, which in some ways is so stupid because there's the worst police in the world, apparently, mm-hmm. um, unable to protect this kid. But in also in a, another way, it was very sweet and spoke to some of these ideas and and all of that. So, Conrad, I think uh, let's let's get into it. I mean, we got I think we're going to have some different picks and it's going to be interesting to hear what you got. All right. Uh, let's let's start out with you. What is your number five? All right, I'm going to preface this by saying these aren't in any order. These I tried to capture different categories of heroes. Um, so one category of a hero that I wanted to capture was uh, whistleblowers. Um, and so these are individuals who see something going on within an organization um, and they want to bring attention to it. So I went with The Insider. Hmm. Have you seen Have you seen this film? I have. I, I really enjoyed this film when I saw it. Um, it's a movie that uh, really made me think. Um, came out in 1999, and it's about a chemist who um, basically tries to expose some things that the tobacco industry is doing. Um, it's based on a real-life story. Um, it's a Michael Mann film starring Russell Crowe, Al Pacino's in it, Christopher Plummer. It's, it's got a great cast. Um, and I, I think it does that job well um uh, talking about someone who may not have wanted to uh, become a whistleblower but sees and discovers something and they feel in their conscience that they need to do something about it 
You know, um, it's very interesting that that is your number five because my number five was Silkwood. Silkwood? Silkwood. I am not familiar with this film. So this is a film from the 80s and it stars um, Meryl Streep. Um, and it, um, it is also about a whistleblower. So it, um, it's based on the life of Karen Silkwood and she was a, a whistleblower, a blower, sorry. And, um, somebody that basically, um, they, she, she died in a car accident that was apparently set up. Uh, because she was investigating the wrongdoing at a um, at the power at the the plutonium plant where she worked, hmm. and eventually there was a trial, and um, they found in the favor of her of her estate. Of course, you know she, but but it's about somebody who's doing some really scary things and ends up paying with her life. So now is that is that a true story or is yes, it a fiction? Yes, yes, it's a true story. Oh, interesting. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to see this. I I have not it's seen it. It's a little film. dated. It's it's honestly it's one of those films that was just very upsetting to watch. Yeah. Um because there's, you know, some of the things she's investigating. I mean, basically there was there was a leak and there was a lot of things going on um which is why she got involved in trying to prove that there was a lot of wrongdoing in in terms of what they how they were doing things at the the plant um but you know in just an incredibly brave thing to do um yeah and not everybody does it huh so um cool i'm gonna have to check that one out um all right um my number four um really speaks to the heroism of soldiers and people who do intentionally put themselves in harm's way and i think you know, one of the lessons of the Vietnam War is um, we need to be able to separate the soldier from the war and the, any political feelings that people have about wars versus the people who are um, uh, signing up to to defend a country. So um, with with that being said, um, I really um, liked the Hurt Locker. This is uh, the two. Not you're not a fan, Conrad. No, I think it is an amazing film. I just um, it is very hard to watch. You know, pretty much every movie from my list on is hard to watch. Um, See, I went a little bit more of a lighthearted route. I mixed. I'm glad you did. So I, I, I well, not I mean lighthearted in terms of these things that we're talking about, but um, I I had fiction as well as real life stories too. Yeah, well, this one is is a work of fiction. Um, however, it's based on a lot of um, actual experiences. Um, so, The Hurt Locker, uh, 2008 film um, by Catherine Bigelow, who I just think is an amazing director. Um, Jeremy Renner is the individual here, and it's about a army bomb squad. And the reason why I picked Hurt Locker is um, not only does it get into um, why, why some people do enlist and, and put themselves in harm way, but it also talks a little bit about the consequences of that. And, and some of the, uh, some of the impacts that it has on some, uh, on, on soldiers, um, and on veterans. Um, I, I think it's a really well done film. It, it is hard to watch. And especially I think if, if you are an individual who, especially if you are an individual who has had experience, um, 
being deployed, I think this film in, in some ways might be triggering, in some ways it might be validating, but anyone who's had uh, traumatic experiences, I think might be, this w- might be a tough one to, to watch, but I think it, it really honestly, um, gets at some of the complexity of being a soldier. Hmm. That is a good pick. Your number four, Conrad. See, I'm feeling a little bit bad now. <laughs> um i i well not bad but i mean it's it's you know and it is a little bit heavy i suppose but i picked atticus finch from uh to kill mockingbird i'm so glad you picked to kill mockingbird because i was so considering putting it on my list i'm so glad you did that um so it's um you know uh, Atticus Finch to me is one of those heroes in a story and granted he is a lawyer but um, his portrayal as a lawyer who is defending an African American man who is free but has really very few rights like it's the Jim Crow era Um, and it is such a a moving film. Um, Gregory Peck plays this character and it's really um Yes, it's fictional, but I think that it speaks a lot to that time. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he, that uh, in in the book, as well as in the film, he is definitely, I think he has to be one of my, my top heroes. Oh, great pick. I, I really, I love the book. I love the film. Um, and I think the film has a powerhouse of a performance here with Atticus Finch. Uh, uh, good pick. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. My, my number one through three are, are all tough films in some way. Um, my number three is a little bit less tough, but it's, it's, it gets very sad. Um, so, uh, I talked about soldiers, talked about whistleblowers. Now I want to talk a little bit more about activists. And so my number three pick was milk. Um, Oh, you know what? That's my number three too. What? How does this happen? Mind meld. Yeah, um, fascinating. Good job. So, Good job, us. So, uh, really, I'm honestly, folks, um, fellow nerdlings, we didn't, nerdlings, we didn't really we don't, give, we definitely we don't. didn't give her for this one because this one, I'll admit, I, I kind of did by the seat of my pants. No, we, we, so. we don't ever trade our list. So, th- that is why I get so excited when there is a mind melt. Um, so, um, why'd you pick milk? Um, I picked milk because I think that, um, and, and for those of you who haven't, haven't seen the film or, or know who he is. Um, but Harvey milk was an activist in San Francisco who, who fought for, for gay rights. Um, he was very active within the community there when, you know, it's, it's amazing to see how many different things have changed today and how, yeah much better it has gotten it's definitely not gotten to the level of perfection yet certainly but um this is somebody that was doing this before it was um popular to do so in the 70s in the 70s, in the 70s. Um, and this is a time when you know you would live in certain communities like san francisco or new york because you, there was a community there that was semi accepting but this was still right on the cusp of things um and he ended up being murdered, assassinated. Yeah. Um, and um, he and he knew he was in danger and yet continued to fight for what he believed in yeah. um, and put himself in danger. I mean, he really put himself in the spotlight um, 
and I felt watching this film was it was hard for me to watch, but it was it was a great film, and he's a he's a fantastic character, and I think he was a fantastic person. Yeah, you know, I, I was debating a few different movies for this uh, for the activist role, and I was thinking about Gandhi, and I was thinking about some other stuff. And the reason I went with Milk is it's it's really a film that takes place in my home and it um, where I grew up, and it's it's about a story that honestly I did not hear about when I was growing up. We have the Moscone Center, which is um, it um, speaks to uh, the individual who was also killed. Um, and uh, assassinated, um, who I believe was the the mayor, Mayor Moscone mm-hmm. or Moscone. I never know how to pronounce his last name, but um, I didn't really hear much about Harvey Milk growing up. And mm-hmm. I thought that was such a shame until I saw this movie and I understand this, the story. And just a few weeks ago, I was speaking to um, speaking to a colleague and we, we talked about um, uh, this is someone who's who's. Um, grew up in this era and he was a school teacher at the time and now he's a psychologist but he said you know Ali I was um in the daytime I was um uh, a closeted teacher in Santa Cruz and on the weekends I would go up and become an activist and I worked with Harvey Milk I was a part of his team and um he said come with me and you know we're going to march for these rights and he said I can't um and, he, and Harvey Milk said, he, he said I can't because I'm a teacher I can't I, I'll lose my job and he said put a bag over your head and show solidarity and come out and he told me these personal stories about Harvey Milk and just how much he how courageous he was in um, fighting for these rights in a time in which um, it was uh, nowhere near where we are now. So um, great story. There's also a connection here to the Spider-Man genre since James Franco um, uh, is in the movie as well. That's so, true. And he did an amazing job. I thought Sean Penn as, as Harvey Milk was incredible too. So absolutely. Well absolutely. worth watching overall, both for the fact that it was based on a true story, but also it is a really excellent film. Yeah. Uh, Conrad, what's your number two? Um, my number two is um, Katniss Everdeen. Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, yeah. So you're okay. Yeah, which uh, which film, or are you going with the book, or which, um, what are you I'm going, going with? with the films. I mean, I mean, you know, it's she is. You know, I, I would say in terms of of the things I like more, I would say the book. She's a bit better. Um, you know, I it's she is definitely a reluctant person taking on this role but she's very brave even though she knows it could be certain death and she wants to protect her family and ultimately decides that she needs to be an activist and help everybody um so it it initially i wouldn't say that they are selfish reasons because she does this out of love but it ends up um her activism and her her courage ends up being for a lot more than her own personal interests in the end Mm. Mm. And in the end, she also lays down the mantle like she does not want to be the figurehead. She doesn't want to be the leader. Um, so ultimately, she she eventually gives up all that power. But she she does what she needs to do to yeah. to, to to free the people. That's a good pick. Um, you know, she you she, you couldn't get more reluctant right. than the Hunger Games. Um, definitely not something that people seek out. Um, so yeah, no, that's a good pick. 
Um, my number, my number two and number one are um, very difficult movies to watch, <laughs> and um, they speak to tremendous um, inhumanity that has happened in our lifetimes. Uh, and that's why I picked these two films over other films um, that might speak to um, older eras that um, I did not live through but and don't have that personal relevance to me, um, only have that historical relevance. Um, so my number two pick is Hotel Rwanda. Uh, uh, I know. And another one. I know this is a incredibly difficult film to watch. And to be honest with you, I've only seen it once. Um, and we watch films for different reasons. You know, sometimes we watch them for escapism. Sometimes we watch them um, for fun. Uh, sometimes we watch them to learn a little bit. Sometimes we watch them to be moved. Hotel Rwanda is one of those films that you watch so that we don't forget. Um, and so we are reminded by um, what has happened in history with with the hope that um, we don't let these types of injustices happen again. And so for those of you not familiar with the film, it's 2004 film. Um, Don Cheadle plays the main role. And it's about an individual who housed thousands of Tutsu, uh, Tutsi refugees during the um, Hutu um, and Tutsi um, genocide that was occurring in in the 1990s the reason i chose this film is i remember um that era and i remember the discussions about um knowing that a genocide is taking place in another part of the world and um at least living in america being american um knowing that we were not intervening and and nothing was happening there. And I know, I know there are injustices that happen around the world um, at, at all times. Um, but this movie just had a, when I saw it after it came out, um, it, it just sat with me for a long time knowing that this is what happened. Um, and I, the film speaks to the heroism of an individual who is um, in a complete altruistic way trying to save as many people as he can. Um, it's a little bit of a parallel story to Schindler's List, and there's other stories like this. Um, uh, but this one had a lot of, uh, it just, uh, it felt very personal to me. Hmm. Um, I don't, it, like, there were a few other films that I had, um, and I guess I will relegate some of those to more of my my uh um my honorable mention list because i feel like i don't want to go into the <laughs> i don't want to add these to the list and in, in that you've been so so good about um giving this emotional weight to um but um one of mine was aaron brockovich oh i'm so glad you picked this one too this was I was wavering on this one. Too. And this is similar. I mean, the, yeah. the Silkwood film and Aaron Brockovich, yep. Brockovich, they're similar in that, you know, that this is also based on a true story. And, um, you know, Aaron Brockovich is a real person. She really, you know, was not trained to do any, any legal work. She, she was a paralegal, um, or taught herself to be a paralegal. Um, mm -hmm. and she basically, was the main person who helped bring a case against um, uh, PG&E about poisoning water and the horrible things that they were doing um, that were causing insane health problems for the people 
um, in that area. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it, it just shows you that it, it can take, heroism can take many, many forms. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is that, you know, she, she was definitely not the polished person that you see today. Like, I know she did a lot of the, the interview circuit and the publicity circuit when this, you know, when, when the case happened, but also when the movie came out, she, she had a lot of publicity and, you know, at the time she was somebody that was really scraping by yet took it upon herself to really, um, take up this cause and to, to make these people, well, to basically get justice for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was why I picked her. I like it. That's, it's a great film. Um, and yeah, no, I, I really like it. Um, okay, my my last film is uh, like Hotel Rwanda. It's a very difficult film to watch. Um, so this is a little wow, uncharacteristic. Ollie. Wow, <laughs> I, I know my honorable mentions. I promise, I have two, and they're very easy to watch fun films. Um, that's why I picked them. But um, th- this film was um, extremely difficult for for me to watch um uh it's 2006's united 93 so um united 93 is uh the true story of um some of the events that happened on september 11th um it follows the story of united flight 93 and this is the flight that um crashed in Pennsylvania. Um, I really did not want to watch this film at all because I I, thought it, I didn't actually, (laughs) I just couldn't do it. Well, it, there was a few reasons why I didn't want to watch it. And one is I thought it was extremely, um, I was a bit offended by the, the wave of the nine 11 films that were coming out. Um, uh, there was United 93 and there was, um, a world trade center, I think was the other film. I never saw that one. Um, and I kept hearing these incredible reviews about the film and, um, finally ended up watching it. Um, and the film has it's it's all um, relatively unknowns to cinema in it, um, and it, it's shot in a very realistic way, which is why I think it is hard to watch because it feels almost like this is a documentary. Um, but it the reason why I picked it as number one, um, it's a story about a, a group of people on this plane that is hijacked and who begin to learn about the events of nine eleven as they're unfolding and make a decision um, to to try to take control of the plane and if they can't control take control of the plane to crash it to prevent it from being used in an attack um, against the um, the United States and it's it's a powerful film it is um, the the sense of um, terror that I felt in this film was unlike any other film because you, you know it's real you know this is what happened um, and it's done in a way that I think really honors um, the people who uh, who lost their lives that day um, so it's uh, it's my number one pick. It's a tough one to watch, and I think um, um, for a lot of people, I would probably not recommend watching it. But if um, and it sits with you for a while, but um, that's that's my number one. Yeah. So I think I already did my number one. Did you? Yeah. Did you do what? What was your number one? Aaron Brockovich. Ah, Aaron Bokovich. Uh, okay. 
that is our top five um honorable mentions conrad honorable mentions mine are all light um or at least not based on real characters uh, or real people um but i picked um alien ellen ripley yeah yeah good one um sarah connor from terminator good pick um, even though admittedly she's sometimes a bit annoying, but she gets better. <laughs> she gets better. Um, and then Sean, Sean of the dead, I love which it. was going to be to my number one. And then I flipped it out with Aaron Brockovich, who was in the honorable mentions because I just couldn't go too light when you, you were going so heavy. That's those are all good picks. Um, my three honorable mentions are very light. Uh, Chronicle, which I alluded to earlier, um, really great um, indie feeling superhero film that uh, really talks about um, it does a good job of speaking to what would actually happen if you're a teenager and you develop powers. Um, love that film. Uh, Kick-Ass. Uh, oh, I had the I had uh, Hit Girl as one of the ones, but I limited it to three. So, yeah. Well, there we go. Um, and it's honorable mention for Hit Girl, basically. Um, and then my other one is Rocky. Oh, good one, Adrian. Um, no, that's a really good one. Nice. Yeah, love that film. The the first one is is a really really great film. So, um. I think that those are our top five and our, our our honorable mentions. We would love to hear from you, dear listeners. Um, please let us know what you thought about um, the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Um, we would love to hear from you, especially if you really enjoyed the film. Tell us how we're wrong <laughs> about this film. <laughs> or um, I, you know what, I would love to hear other people's perspectives who like the film, and you know, I, I. I don't necessarily think I'm wrong, but I always think that a healthy debate means that there are two sides to the story. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it does seem to be a film series where um, people have strong feelings about the the Sam Remy movies and now the Mark Webb movies. So we'd like to hear what your strong feelings are. Um, you can reach us on Twitter at NerdHour. You can go to superfantasticnerdhour.com. Also, email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. And uh, we'd also love to hear about your uh, recommendations for uh, everyday hero films. Um, I should also to say that uh, it was thanks to you all that we decided to go with Everyday Heroes. Um, we sent out a tweet and uh, asking, should we do a top five about Everyday Heroes or should we do a top five about spider movies? <laughs> and everyone said, let's go with the heroes. And uh, someone, I love this comment, was uh, how about Everyday Spiders? Um, <laughs> I like Everyday Spiders. <laughs> that would have been cool. Although I don't know what else to say besides like Daddy Long Legs. I, yeah. I don't know what. What else I would say, um, Conrad? Where can people find you on the internet? This on the week? interwebs, they can find me on Twitter. My handle is at dieprince, um, and then I am also uh, can be found on my other podcast regarding dead and undead things called Reanimated with my good friend Stuart Tiffin, and that is reanimatedpodcast.com. And on Twitter, we're reanimatedpcast. Nice. And I am on Twitter as well. Um, my call sign or whatever is at Ali Matu. And I am also the science fiction psychologist at BrainKnowsBetter.com. Is that I, how we have to say that? That's how I have to say it. Um, okay. It's under my contract with uh, the Brain Knows Better people, I guess. Um, 
So come over there and um, check out my psychoanalysts of stuff that is sci-fi. So with that, dear nerdlings, live long and prosper. Indeed. 